This is another edition of Kaiju Transmissions. As always, uh, I am Bird. With me is my uh, my host. <laughs> what? Uh, Bird is drunk. What did I do? <laughs> what did I do wrong? I believe the term is co-host. Oh. Well, he is a You're co-host. Like, you made it. You made it sound like you were living inside me. <laughs> like, like I was the host. <laughs> like, what is going on? Yeah, so I'm the parasitic organism that inhabits uh, Matt's body. <laughs> oh well, uh, and with us is a frequent um, contributor. Uh, we have our friend Trevor, who uh, is with me on another podcast called If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It. And he has his own X-Men podcast, Days of Future podcast. Welcome back, Trev. Thank you. Great to be back. Excited to be here to talk about my favorite kaiju franchise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and for those of you wondering, we're talking about Death Note, which is not a kaiju franchise. We are taking one of our uh, every so often uh, a detour outside of there. Um, but, you know, it's big. It's a big Japanese genre franchise that is uh, enormously successful uh, and has a new movie out on Netflix right now. Right, guys? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sound too excited. Hey, I just want to quickly ask something because you guys go to, like, um, kaiju conventions and stuff. Correct. Um, So I'm curious because, Bird, like, when we go to horror conventions, you know, there's, like, some – there's some expansion there to where – you know, they they also have like some a little bit of sci-fi, maybe, but definitely some like exploitation and kind of cult stuff that's not necessarily horror. Mm-hmm. When you're at something like G Fest, would you see like Death Note merchandise and stuff, or do they stick pretty close to? Just oh yeah, kaiju yeah. Stuff? I mean, um, I mean, uh, really, the dealers there, probably a lot of them, you might see at a horror convention. I mean, most of them, yeah. There's a lot of ki- it's predominantly kaiju merchandise but i mean tons of people have universal stuff hammer stuff i mean yeah, exploit yeah exploitation films and <clears throat> anime um so yeah i mean it, it's it's pretty much just a, a heavy emphasis on sci-fi and horror but yeah the the bulk of it's kaiju but just about every dealer there ha- also will have a lot of stuff that's outside of there okay good question though um so yes, uh, yeah, we'll we'll get to Death Note, um, and uh, there are some some threads to, um, you know, the will. Two of the filmmakers responsible for some of these movies are uh, kaiju directors. So uh, we'll we'll get to all that. But uh, before that, we want to address some news uh, that we thought was worth, I guess, bringing up. Uh, Matt, what what uh, what do you want to start with here? There's really only a couple things here that we want to knock out, but I mean, uh, so apparently <laughs> Tango was uh, in the works, and then Toho said no or something. I don't, I don't know. Okay, well, Steven Soderbergh was uh, attached to direct, and I guess he approached them, and his post made it sound like it just uh, too much of a hassle to make happen. Well, he said he really wanted to remake it, and he went to them, and they couldn't reach a deal. So I don't think there was any ink was dry and anything had any really forward momentum. He probably just came to them and said, hey, I love this old movie, and I want to remake it. And they said, ha, that's cute, but no. But he probably had, like, a treatment or something written because uh, this is – 
uh, going back maybe like a year, like last year, like some like IndieWire or one of those like little film sites released like, an article. And I like Soderbergh, you know, I like Steven Soderbergh. So I, it was like, um, like uh, he he made a he compiled a list because uh, I guess he writes down every movie he watches, and he they published like the list of all the movies he watched. I think it was last year, um, and I noticed on there it had Matango like seven times, and it, I was like, <laughs> oh, he must just really like Matango. And it turns out he does. But my guess is that when he was watching it, he was probably like, you know, maybe brainstorming for ideas and stuff. Uh, but moral of the story is. When he says they couldn't reach a deal, I'm thinking probably buying the rights to remake the film, um, which is unfortunate because, uh, I mean, for an A-lister, I guess, yeah, A-list director like Soderbergh, who's known for making cheap movies that almost always turn a profit, um, to be like, hey, this movie that no one remembers from the 60s, I'm interested in doing it. To, I, I mean, we don't know the ins and outs, but if it is just like a deal on, you know, paying for the rights or whatever, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because that's what Toe is known for. Like, if you, if you have a Godzilla as a property, you have to pay out the ass for like every additional monster, which is why like Marvel and Hanna-Barbera and all these other companies never got you know, other monsters besides Godzilla, and they had to make up their own. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand that they've had some bad deals with other companies in the past. Like, Latitude Zero is infamous because literally half the funding fell through, and that's why the movie is, like, lopsided and bonkers as it is. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. They need to get over it and... Uh, be more willing to to play ball, I think. I'm just surprised on that one because I understand, you know, even though it can get frustrating, I understand where Toho is always coming from and wanting to be so protective of Godzilla, which is such a big brand, and, like, it it is what they are, you know, that's their bread and butter. But, like, Matango, it's like, that's just sitting there. (laughs) You know, they're not doing (laughs) anything with it. And you'd think they'd be excited to have, like, a high-profile remake that might bring some eyes back to the original. Right, right. I, I don't know, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're 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 just so they're just they're too protective of their stuff, and it's it's been their problem since like the late sixties, seventies, probably. And it's, I mean, I feel like if they went to like Daie or or Daie Katakao and said, "Hey, Steven Soderbergh wants to remake like the Great Yokai War," they'd be like, "Sure, here, do whatever you need." If I were Toho, I'd be like, uh, "Yeah, that'll be like ten bucks." <laughs> <laughs> you know, go wild. <laughs> um, Hopefully, Soderbergh will just take that desire and channel it into some other kind of movie, like like that. You know, because yeah. the idea of seeing Soderbergh play in that kind of world, he hasn't. Is well, he hasn't very made a ho- he hasn't made a horror movie. I mean, he's done a million genres, but he hasn't done horror, has he, Trev? Not straightforward horror, yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would be all about that, and mm-hmm. I feel like I mean, I love the original, but I feel like that is one that like. There's so many ideas in there that you could like yeah. have a ball with, and I just feel like he's one of those directors who, just from a stylistic point of view, I feel like he'd be a good horror director. Yeah, and I also feel like we got denied a Channing Tatum a Tango movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what if like Channing Tatum was the only the mushroom, like nothing else? Would you be okay with that? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't tell if that's a reference to his penis or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. 
<laughs> nice to know you were thinking about his penis. Well, though. you know, I did. I didn't know if it was you know a Magic Mike reference or or what. <laughs> <clears throat> Magic Mike XXL Shroom. I, I don't know. <laughs> Magic Mike versus Matango. There we go. Let it. <laughs> Magic mushroom. Magic mushrooms XXL. See, you missed the. There idea. we go. I like that. I like that better. That's that's the best one. Uh, the second thing is, uh, I guess, a couple weeks ago we had a, a, really another one of those like very vague teasers for Godzilla. I guess it's now called Planet of the Monsters instead of just Monster Planet. Uh, they wanted it to be even more awkward to to say and <laughs> type and abbreviate, um, uh, which is the animated Godzilla movie, which is uh, the first in a trilogy. Uh, Theatrically in Japan, November, coming to Netflix everywhere else in the world later this year. Um, uh, Matt, I, I don't know. I mean, do you have any takeaways from the actual trailer? Because it doesn't show us much of anything. I mean, not really. We know we, we they've basically released a plot synopsis, which is Godzilla has taken over the world and made the planet uninhabitable by mankind, and mankind is trying to retake it back. And somehow or another... Like this kid leaves Earth when he's a kid and comes back and like twenty thousand years have passed and I don't. It's, it's so a planet. It's, well, is, have you seen Planet of the Apes? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's I like guess. that. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, uh, what's the word? Relativity is that the word? Yeah, time relativity. I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, I know you said you're not a fan of the animation. I personally don't mind it. It's distracting. I, I mean, I'm I'm not an anime connoisseur by any means, but every. Every anime that I've ever watched that has like the the 3D and 2D mixture, it seems very distracting. And I'm not saying it can't be well done or that it looks like it's it's bad quality. I just think it's very distracting for the viewer, and it is for me. Um, Trev, did you even did you have you bothered to look at any of these teasers or anything? Nope. Okay. Well, it's Trev. Did you see the second Ghost in the Shell movie? Um, yes. Yeah, it's 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 the same studio that did that animation. It's that kind of, like, it's CG, but it's made to look 2D kind of look. That's what mm-hmm. has everyone, like, up in arms. I, it's it's different from what you usually see, but I don't so much mind it. Uh, the, the, the full design of this Godzilla has been, uh, uh, made, re- been released to the public. What do you think? Um, I'm fine with it. It looks like Godzilla. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not like you guys into where I get into these like really long conversations about the design changes and everything. As long as it always looks to me like in profile enough like Godzilla, I'm, I'm generally fine with it. Uh, I do think it's interesting that they are making it look like the legendary one. Like even I find that to be, um, a surprising choice. Um, I, cause you just look at that and you go, well, all right, I guess that's, that's Godzilla now, right? It seems like that's that's telling us that moving forward, it, it maybe it's always going to have that kind of look and not the more traditional look to it. But it doesn't bother me. All right, there you there you go, Matt. I know I, I'm kind of with Trev in that it, I, if if it looks like Godzilla in profile, it's okay. It's Godzilla. It's, it's going to be the the quality of the movie. If it's a bad movie with a Godzilla that doesn't look like Godzilla, that's one thing. But if, if it's a good movie with a bad Godzilla design, I mean, there's plenty of those. <laughs> I, I do agree with that assessment. Like, I'm, I, we, you know, Eric and I always go back and forth about the designs because we find that discussion interesting. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, as long as it does look like Godzilla, that's okay. I, I'm not like, designs meh, but 
if the movie's good, and, and so far we have every indication to think it, it has potential to be, um, that's all I really care about. Regardless of the animation style that I don't really prefer, regardless of the design that I'm kind of eh, like as long as the movie is good, then that's that's the bigger the bigger thing. But I do think the animation style is actually a pretty important thing. Well, yeah, no, the, for sure, animation can ruin like a good story or a, you know. Like I said, I, I've seen some of Nice of Sardonia or Sardonia or whatever, and that's uh, it's the same company. And I also found the animation in that to be distracting. Um, I, don't, I don't know. It's anytime I've ever seen that sort of style of animation, it, it literally makes me want to turn it off. But this is Godzilla, so I'll stick it out to see if the story's good. But I will say, like watching it, it's just like God, my eyes actually hurt watching this for some reason. Well. Quit whining. Um, yeah, I'm good at that. Okay, so uh, we're going to move into Death Note, uh, which seems like every like ten years or so, there's an anime franchise that hits super hard stateside and becomes yeah like a big nerd phenomena in the 2000s. That was Death Note. It's like the 90s, it was like Evangelion. In the 2000s, it's like, it's Death Note. And now it's, I don't know, like Attack on Titan or One Punch Man. I know those are like super It's definitely Attack on Titan. Yeah. So, uh... Unfortunately. So, so Death Note, uh, like I said, we're taking a a detour outside of the giant monster uh, genre just because, um... Uh, it's it's a big thing right now. Adam Wingard, who is uh, in pre-production on Godzilla vs. Kong, just made the new one. Uh, the first two movies were directed by uh, Shisuke Kaneko, who uh, did the Gamera trilogy, as well as GMK. Uh, a whole lot, bunch of other stuff, but um, that's what kaiju fans would know him for. He's like one of the more prolific uh, directors to make kaiju movies. And um, uh, so... Um, there's some connecting threads there, but, um, you know, I mean, you wouldn't oppose us doing, you know, uh, Toho's mutant movies or anything like that. So I think there's room here. So um, to talk about Death Note, it's all based on a manga. And what, what was first? Was it the anime or the the, the, the books, the manga? The, the manga. Mangas? The okay. manga. Yeah. Okay. Um, now we're we're most, mostly fo- going to focus on the live action movies. Um, <clears throat> now uh, I'm going to defer to these two because uh, Matt has watched the anime and Trev has both read uh, Death Note and watched the anime. So I will defer to you guys with the source material here. Um, so, uh, I mean, I don't know, uh, which, Trev, since you've actually read the manga as well, maybe you kick it off on, uh, uh, you know, what your thoughts on it were and when it came out and stuff, because I, I think you said you were into Death Note way back, way back when, and you had a Ryuk t-shirt and all that, so, Trev, kick yeah. us off with the manga, and then we'll segue to the anime, and you guys can go back and forth on that. Well, you know, it's interesting, because actually, I, I can probably just kind of go in tandem with Matt here, because I will say the the anime is a really almost pitch-perfect translation of the manga. It's, it's like one of those... Um, like a, just a dead-on adaptation. So when you're talking about one, you might as well be talking about the other. All right, um, well, there you go. But, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I did really get into I was working at Borders Books at the time um, when it started to kind of really hit here in America. And uh, that, I feel like just I, I know manga is still a big thing, but I feel like around that time, the early 2000s is when it was like huge here. And I feel like there was more like, um, you know, Ann Arbor by where we live, where there was like, you know, I feel like manga yeah, stores I, I and feel stuff. like yeah. it was almost before the new wave of like YA stuff that we're getting here happened. So it's almost like I feel like it was really popular with teenagers and like kids getting into college. Well, it was. Stuff. You know what else? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is true or not, but in my head, this makes sense. It was also before American comic books kind of took off in a big way again. Well, yeah, it was. Yeah, so, it, was, it was before you know, the, the Marvel movies hadn't happened yet. Right. And yeah, I feel, I feel like this this was almost like a placeholder for that stuff mm-hmm. to come in later. And I just took note of Death Note because, you know, the covers looked interesting. And then um, I noticed that it seemed to be one of the more popular ones. So I was like, well, I'll check this out. And it just it is an interesting concept. Right. Um, so, we'll do, I mean, I guess I'll just quickly say it's about um, uh, a young kid named Light who one day finds this notebook that just kind of falls from the sky. It says on the cover, it's called the Death Note. And he opens it up and there's a series of rules printed at the beginning. And it says, I mean, the basic idea is. If you write anyone's name into this notebook, that person will die um, shortly of a heart attack. Unless you write down a specific cause of death, then that will be what happens to them. But if you don't, it's just a heart attack. And obviously, a big part of the sh- like series is going on and discovering what all the other rules are. Um, but I mean, just from that concept, the idea is... What do you do when you find a notebook like that and light because of some stuff, uh, you know, in his past and some ideas he has about justice and how the, the justice system is broken in Japan? He decides to use the Death Note to kind of become this, like, you know, vigilante, this avenging angel who's getting rid of the bad people in the world. And the world takes notice, and a lot of people actually begin worshipping this figure called Kira. That's the name that is given to him in this guise. And they don't know how it's being done or who's behind it, but the world just knows someone out there is mysteriously killing all these bad people. And a lot of people are excited about it, but the police are not. And they open up an investigation into it, and that investigation ends up being led by the other big character of the series, uh, L who is this kind of um, strange, you know, young, I, I want to say kid, but it's more like, you know, a young adult who's kind of, um, you know, you could say like maybe autistic, uh, very socially awkward, but he's basically like the world's greatest detective. Uh, he's And he's kind of the secretive figure in the so law enforcement like world. So he's like Batman. He's like Batman if Batman didn't know how to talk to people. And ate um, candy all day. Yeah, Nate Candy all day, but he does have a butler, so I mean it kind of works. Um, and yeah, so then the the bulk of the, the the story up to a certain point is this like kind of cat and mouse game between Light and L, with L trying to figure out who it is that is behind this, and and Light, um, you know, and, and through a turn of events that we can get into maybe a little later, or whatever. Light actually ends up being part of the investigation himself. So the two are actually working together to find Kira and with Light trying to hide the fact that he is Kira and L somewhat suspecting it but needing to find the proof. And that's like the, the bulk of the storyline as, as far as is, is important enough for this conversation. Um, how did they feel about it? I really did like it. I liked it a lot. And like, as you said, I got into it. Um, I was very excited when the anime started. Um, I was like renting them and um, I guess I bought a Ryu t-shirt probably from Hot Topic. I can't remember, but I'm sure that's probably where I got it. And I even had a uh, I had a Ryuk figurine, which I probably still have somewhere, 
but it came packaged with like one of the mangas that I bought. You're saying Ryuk, like Ryu the Street Fighter? It's Ryuk, bro. Ryuk, whatever. <laughs> Listen to me correct somebody on Japanese pronunciation. Yeah, like I've listened to this podcast. You get everything <laughs> wrong, and you're going to yell at me. <laughs> I know. I just, I just wanted to have some fun with it. The problem is that I, in my head, you know, I read this for years, and in my head I was always saying Ryuk. You know what I mean? And like, Dude, I know. So I, now I it do the same help. thing with uh, <laughs> I always call Gigan Gigan because that's how I said it as a kid. So. I'll never forget when they did like the first they fi- they finally like did the like proper like um the better dub for Acura and I was like Acura you know what I mean I was like oh, yeah, yeah, Acura yeah. and it's it's not uh Can- it's not Canada it's Canada you know it's like you get like so <laughs> um but uh, yeah but I guess like Matt can take over now about how he feels about the anime um I like the majority of it. I think it's really well done. The cat and mouse game uh, between L and Light is is really well handled. There's a there's this little wrench that's kind of thrown in this, in the uh, the whole story with uh, Misa Amane, which is another person that has a death note, um, and she basically falls in love and wants to you know be uh, Kira's I don't know what you would call it, but she wants to defend him at all costs, basically. Um, I, I liked it up until the point where yep. L is defeated and they introduce basically the next two L's for, for lack of a better term, uh, mellow and, uh, near at that point, it kind of eh, like, it just feels like too much the same until the very end. Um, and once the story concludes, like there, that is a very satisfactory, like I felt a lot of satisfaction with the way that it was handled at the very end, but I could have yeah. done without the second it is weird, right? Like, I mean, like, I, I agree with you that the end is great, but I remember the, even the first time I read it, just being so confused as to why the story suddenly does that. Because, um, you know, you have this, like, great thing going, and I'm not even sure I can think of, like, another parallel to that of a storyline that is, is so, it's one thing for such a long time, and then it kind of abandons that, jumps forward in time, and just goes in, like, a totally different direction for the last, like, third. Yeah. I, I just thought, it was almost like they, they made this, they they came up with the, the idea of L getting defeated and we're like, so into that idea. And then when they did it, they're like, whoops, like we're not <laughs> done yet. We're still supposed to do like, you know, six more volumes or whatever. And I don't know, it's just really awkward. Yeah. That's exactly how, how I felt about it until, until the end. Um, and that again, brings a lot of satisfaction and I think it's, it's really well handled, but there's that weird in between layer that like, I, I could have completely done without. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, I guess that opens up. Uh, I'm assuming you guys will go into further differences between the the the, the anime and the the movies. But uh, how long is that stretch where it deviates into like that weird? Yeah, it, it's about. I mean, I, I think Trev's dead on. I think it's about like a third. Like, yeah. They get two thirds. It's thirty-seven episodes long, and somewhere you know, ep- probably episode twenty-eight or something. Like it seems like it just kind of goes off the rails a little bit. And then the last, I think, two or three episodes is kind of this real long build-up um, with the mafia involved and, and stuff. And it's those three, two or three episodes at the very end are actually great. But everything from you know that that ten or twelve episode stretch is kind of like. It, it really feels a like a, a lesser version of L, in my opinion. Yep. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, if you guys had to rate the series out of five, what would you what would you do? Man, uh, I, I would still give it like it's it's still a solid, you know, four. 
I, I think it's really well done. If you like good storytelling and you're not so bent on just seeing a like, you know, like if you're into shonen stuff like Naruto or you know Dragon Ball Z, like if you're not bent on that kind of stuff and you want a good character development and a really good story, then I think this is a, a great place to start. Plus, you have the the death gods and stuff, so it's got a lot of fantastical elements and it. You know, it's, it's fairly graphic as well, so you do yeah. get that crazy sense of violence. So I, I'm, for me, it's definitely a four out of five. I'd probably go just a little lower and go with like 3.5, but yeah, I agree. It, it, it come the thing about Death Note is it comes in with a lot of goodwill right off right off the top because it's such a cool concept. Uh, the the art is cool. The, uh, the the look of the Death Gods is awesome. Misa, Light, and L are all great characters. So for a long time, you're riding a wave of goodwill. Um, but then it does lose steam at the end. And I also think, oh, I forgot to mention, I don't know how you feel about this map, but there's also a se- section in the first half where that is really frustrating for me, where for too long they go into this like deviation where Light for like gives up the Death Note and forgets he doesn't he ever had it. <laughs> and it's like, it turns out to all be, it's all part of a plan. Like he's doing it on purpose, but it goes on for so long. And it's I remember that being really frustrating in the manga in particular. I think it was like two volumes where... Light is like doesn't remember he's Kira, and I was just like, "Come on, wrap this up." So <laughs> yeah. like that that it loses steam there, and then it loses steam again at the end, and that's what kind of t- takes it down a notch for me. But the overall concept um, and the ending are strong enough to still give it give it a recommendation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we go to 2006, um, where we have. Uh, uh, Death Note and Death Note 2, the last name, uh, which were made, I believe, um, more or less at the same time. I think they, uh, there was about two months between shooting each one, just to give them a break. Um, but right off the bat, it was decided that they should make it into two movies instead of trying to cram everything into one. And even then, as we'll, I'm sure we'll get into, uh, a lot was uh, taken out. Um, but so, uh, Death Note was directed by the prolific, uh, the great Shusuke Kaneko, um, and, uh, it follows Light, who is played by the, uh, the main guy from Battle Royale, the main kid, um, and Light, at least in this version, is a college student who is studying law, and, um, uh, the Shinigami death god Ryuk just gives him the death note, basically, because he's bored. And he's <laughs> he's like, you know, I don't really have any moral compass. Just here, do this. See what you think. Try it out, and I'll be around to watch. And basically, the, the Shinigamis, they, they feed off of the, the years taken off of whoever dies from the death note. So... Um, you know, they, they, they need to kind of be around the, the person doing it. Whoever touches the death note can see that, that, uh, that demon. Um, and so light, uh, very quickly, um, uh, goes from just wanting to be, a a, a lawyer, uh, and study law to having a very twisted sense of justice, uh, and he develops a god complex, and as these guys talked about in their synopsis of the anime, he, he starts using the Death Note to kill people all around the world, and so um, uh, the, the government and the FBI, they're trying to find who it is, uh, and they're thinking, like, maybe this is someone who has accomplices all over the world, like... Um, 
And, of course, you know, then we get into the Super Detective L and all that that they've established when they talked about the anime. Um, And this first movie is more or less kind of the procedural, uh, as you guys said, talking about the the source material, cat and mouse game between L and the, the, the task force to find out who is Kira and, um... Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, twists and turns. Like, there's a great reveal where you find out the guy that's like in charge of that task force is actually Light's dad. Um, and yeah, it's it's really just looking at the cat and mouse uh, between these guys. And um, the movie is very deliberate in showing, you know, how how Light becomes this basically serial killer and how he slowly just stops caring and becomes more cold and you know i I think it's i think the first time he kills innocent people is when he kills all of the members of the fbi which includes uh our friend norman england shout out to norman uh but um even ryuk is like you know that's pretty messed up you sure you want to do that um but yeah uh the cat and mouse is pretty much the bulk of the movie and um uh that's kind of it ends in a way that really makes you like want to watch the next part um so that's the first you're talking about you're talking about the red hot chili peppers song (laughs) well yeah the the movies end with a red hot chili peppers song and it it was completely bizarre and out of left field the second one starts with one (laughs) yeah it's the second one the opening credits are to yeah. the same song, which is it's which was really bizarre. Uh, I think Trev, this was the first time you'd watched them in a long time, and we watched it together. And I remember when that song came on, we looked at each other like, "What is going on?" Yeah. <laughs> it's surreal. Um, so yeah, that's the movie. Um, I've been blabbing enough. So uh, before I talk about just like I guess what I liked about it and stuff. I mean, uh, Trev, and, well, for both of you, this is a movie you guys have seen a long time ago. Trev's been telling me to check these out for, geez, years, and I just never got around to it. But that's why I like doing podcasts is because it gives me a reason to, like, visit these, like, uh, blind spots in my movie viewing. But um, uh, I think both of you rewatched this one in the last week or two. So uh, have, have have at it. You, what, I'll start with Matt. We'll start with you. What, what was your takeaway on this re- most recent viewing? Uh, Light is a dick. No, <laughs> yeah. Fine. No, I mean, he, he, I really dug the how sinister he is. And they actually add, they give him a girlfriend um, in this, which he did not have in the anime. Um, and it's not, it's, it's, this is different from, uh, the girl that ends up being Amani who, who comes later in the second movie, like light has no conscience as, as long as he's protecting the death note and his abilities and Kira. And as you mentioned, his God complex, um, he doesn't care who he kills at that point. And like, it's just in throughout the entire story, uh, the, the, the character's name is Shiori. Like they have a very, it seems like they have a very sweet, uh, budding kind of romance and like I really cared about that character. I like the little changes that that Kaneko made. I thought they worked really well. Um, yeah, man, it, it's just it's a it's a really good sort of reimagining of the same kind of story that we saw in the anime. And, and also keep in mind, I believe this was being made before the the um, the manga had got that far in the story so i think he was they were kind of ad-libbing some of the, the parts as well uh, is that what it's, it was, was uh, it like a game uh, of thrones thing where 
Yeah, but uh, excuse me, Matt. It's manga, not manga. <laughs> manga. You I tell like him. Manga. <laughs> Just by timing alone, I think I'm I'm super confident that these went into production before the the manga was wrapped up, and I think that's we'll talk more about that in the second film. But uh, I, I I'll just echo everything Matt said. I I really liked. It. I I saw this film you know when it first came to DVD here. Uh, oh man, I think about it. I might have seen it before that through some you know some Skip means. Like the gray yeah. mar- the the gray market they call it. Yes. Uh, but uh, I thought it was a really good adaptation. Um, as met, you know, they condensed a lot and kind of cut some stuff out that was unnecessary. Anyways, I, I think. It's kind of common. I don't want to call it a problem because people jumped on my throat about it, and I and I don't think that's the right term, anyways. But you know, you look at something like Battle Royale, and the manga is I think it's like fifteen really big, you know, thick volumes, and then you go you see the live action movie, which is what about two hours, and it pretty much has everything in it, and you realize that the manga just kind of can sputter along a little bit and kill time and. Uh, the pacing in manga just doesn't really translate to live action film. So you kind of do have to cut things down and move things along a little quicker. And I thought Kaneko did that really well here. Uh, the performances are all really strong. Um, I remember at the time, I think everybody was really worried about well, how L would come across in live action. Like, would it seem too cartoony and would he seem be kind of a joke character? But I think the actor does a really good job with him and makes him very interesting and very likable. And, uh, and yeah, I agree also that. I think there's, it's just something about in the lights, always the main character, but I feel like in the anime and in the manga, because maybe you're spending more time with him and inside his head a little bit, he never seems as, as totally sinister as he does in the live action movies. And I kind of like that change. I mean, I, I'm not saying he's like a good guy in anything, but I like that in this, when that happens at the end, I remember just feeling more like, oh, man, I can't wait to see this guy get his comeuppance. I yeah. they, well, I, I mean, I was surprised. I mean, just from what I knew about Death Note and uh, the and, you know, the, the casting with with light, you know, I mean, that that's a popular actor. And I, I was just like I was expecting him to be more of an antihero. And the movie for the movie spends a great deal of time with him and makes no bones about just how warped he's become and just how. Yeah, he, I mean, that's. He's awful. That's the only thing that throws me a little bit because I'm not sure I agree that it, it comes across like really natural the, the seeing that develop because the first sense we get of it is for a while he's just targeting criminals and you know bad people and then the first time we see him do something outside of that is when L comes on TV to announce that he's coming after him and and Light just like instantly writes L's name in the death note to kill him. And it's and it turns out to all be like a ploy, anyways. It's not really L and whatever, but Light doesn't know that, obviously. And the fact that Light just instantly is like, "Well, I'm going to kill this guy who says he's coming after me." Right there, you're like, "Whoa, wait, that was sudden. That was jarring. That suddenly he's like that sociopathic." But <laughs> but beyond that, I think everything else is handled. Well, I, well. I think for me, it plays just because you. And we'll get into this a little bit when we talk about the new one. I really enjoy the moments where we see him interacting with Ryuk and the banter between them. But, like, I guess uh, pestering him about his decisions and stuff made it feel like, okay, he's kind of, like, in a way, almost speaking for the audience and saying, like, you sure you want to do that? Or, hey, what you just did is really messed up. Um, 
So uh, those are the moments that I like that I think maybe kind of help me swallow those little jumps a little bit. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of with you guys. I, I thought it was a really strong movie. Um, and uh, I, I thought that uh, it was really tightly um, handled. Uh, I, I Especially the third act, I thought was uh, the tension was done really well. Um, you know, it, it was, it, it, it was good. It was good stuff. Um, I mean, with both of these, uh, I guess if there's a, the a biggest complaint maybe, cause I really don't have much, much to say on the story level, um, because I thought it all played well, but you know, Japan, J- Japanese movie budgets don't accommodate CG very well. Uh, and then when you go back 10 plus years uh the effects haven't necessarily aged well but the movie was good enough and that it never really became you know the the it never became too much of a distraction um well they're lucky that ryuk is is supposed to be like this otherworldly character so it kind of works yeah, in, in, a, way. in a way it, it kind of adds a little bit of surrealism I, I i i can agree with that um but yeah, it was a strong movie, and and just the the way that you know the the ending handled, uh, you know, you know he still goes in a direction that you feel like is too far even for him. The the way that that the movie ended with that, I was just like, what? Okay, tell me where this goes next. Um, uh, so we can do ratings now. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll start with mine, and you guys can do yours, and also say any final thoughts you didn't say already or anything. But uh, uh, like I said, it was a, a tense kind of supernatural thriller, and I really like the mythology, um, and I really like um, you know the Shinigami death gods, just as like these interesting demon monsters, um, and uh, it's a weird idea that um, almost feels like something that could only come out of japan in a way um like i was reading an interview with kaneko and he said one of the big things with the the mangas were uh was um uh like why they were the inspiration for them i guess is you know the, the superstition in japan that words kind of carry uh like, if you write about someone, what you write, like, part of their soul is in what you write. And, you know, that's just an interesting cultural piece of information. Um, but, no, it's it's a it's a, a, a tense movie. Um, I'd give this one a four out of five. Uh, the only reason I wouldn't go higher is I don't know if it's something that I would revisit as often as some other, uh, other things. But, um, yeah, I, I really liked it. And... Uh, I'm glad I finally got around to, to checking it out. Yeah, I, uh, I I agree with pretty much everything that you said. Um, by the way, Norman England is in this as an FBI agent. I'm surprised we forgot about that, but he... Uh, we didn't. We didn't. Bird said that. Ah, uh, God. Man, he Sorry, doesn't even my... listen to me on our own show. No, I do. I do. My dog, who I hope you can hear wrestling in the background, was like pawing at me and jumping in my lap. Blame, so I had to, like... blame the poor defenseless... Charlie... Uh, Charlie, this is your fault, buddy. He's blame looking at me like, the, I blame the poor defenseless dog, Matt. <laughs> well, anyway, Norman England got, you know, double dimensions. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's also, um, the actress who plays Paula from Lorelai's in this, and she's the one who plays a girlfriend. I think she's a really awesome character. 
Um, Good catch. Like, I did not put that together. Yeah. It, it, that's kind of what sold me on the whole thing where he uses all that manipulation to get on the task force, as you mentioned. See, I was listening to you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that that moment is kind of what takes this movie and ramps it up at a level. Plus, you have Ryuk is awesome. Um, I really dig their back and forth. I like the fact that he's always pestering him, as you mentioned. Like that, Those are all things that kind of come straight out of the anime that, as we'll talk about with the other movie, I feel we're really lacking um, in, the, in the American re- reimagining. And looking, yeah, at the, no. looking at the cast list, uh, I Maida, who was uh, Ayana in Gamera 3, is in here too. Yeah, um, but I, I would go, I would actually go four and a half. I like this better than the anime. I think part of that's probably just because it's obviously shorter watch, but I, I really dug the overall story. Um, you don't have the fluff in this movie that you have at the very end of the anime. So I'd go four and a half. Cool beans. Trev, what you got to say? No, yeah, this I, I really do like this first one a lot. I, I just remember being so pleased with it when I saw it originally. And then I agree that um, it's a film that benefits from not revisiting that often. Because even though it's really good, I hadn't watched it since I first saw it until, like, last week. And the nice thing about that is that I forgot a lot of twists and turns. And I forgot Light's whole plan at the end again. And I was just, I was fooled by it like a second time, you know? Um, So I, in my head, I'm like, man, I'm not going to watch, even though I like it, I'm not going to watch it again for like a really long time. Because I think it's the kind of film that maybe benefits from that, where you can kind of trick yourself into uh, not knowing everything that's happening. But uh, yeah, cutting out the fat of the anime and the manga uh, really, really helps this feel like, um, just a better version of the story. I've, I do prefer this to both the manga and the anime to me. I guess this is giving up a little bit of what I'll say about the future ones we're going to talk about, but this oh, first wait, wait. film, I, we didn't do a rating scale. So I feel like that's where you're going. So Trev, when you do your rating scale, I want you to rate it, uh, in, uh, un, how many unexpected red hot chili peppers songs you give it. Oh, well, that's not where I was heading. I was actually just going to say um, that to me, this is like the the best version of Death Note altogether. This first film, I think if you had to pick one thing from the entire like franchise to show to someone and be like, this is what Death Note is, is the potential of it. It's this first film. Um, but ratings wise, if you want me to rate on Red Hot Chili Pepper songs, I'd, I'd give it four, four out of five. OK. All right. So uh, we're going to fast forward to uh, released later in 2006, uh, again with Kaneko, like I said, made more or less at the same time, Death Note 2, the last name, um, which covers the second half of, I guess, the story as told in the manga, only... No. (laughs) Well... Cutting out uh, a lot of stuff, which you guys can can get into, uh, and um, uh, yeah, I guess between movies, the the cinematographer, the first one, passed away, and uh, I guess they he went and used uh, the DP he used on the first Gamera film. But anyway, it picks up immediately, more or less, where the first one ends, and that's where um, you have Misa Aname, uh, who is. Um, she hosts a TV show, right? In this, yeah, she, yeah. she's kind of like a wacky TV personality, yeah. uh, and she's gonna get uh, mugged or or attacked, and uh, a Death Note just appears in front of her by uh, another Shinigami called Rem, and uh, Rem uh, is a female 
death god and um so uh we discover that misa has kind of a worship of light because light took care of uh the person that murdered her family and she kind of has a fascination with him um and uh she tracks him down and then they collaborate and this is also where we do get into the little subplot that trev mentioned from the anime where um light intentionally gives up the death note to lose his memory but in this it's for it's like (laughs) how long does that even last in this like 10 minutes or something yeah still a little too long yeah um and uh anyway the 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 cat and mouse continues only this time light is working with the task force um and this is also where you have uh the task force um with the shinigami as well and so you kind of have to like they kind of have to deal with you know this supernatural being hovering over them and interfering with you know their logic um any any i mean uh, it it really just continues on a similar path and tone as the first one. Is there anything you want to add to the the synopsis? Um, well, we also we also meet the other Shinigami, Misa Shinigami Rem, which is a uh, you know just opens up the world a little bit more. Bird said that. Oh, did he? What's oh. wrong with you guys? What's wrong with everyone today? <laughs> Matt's Matt's dog is like over here. <laughs> Okay. No, well, anyway, I, feel like I feel like there's not a lot. I feel like there's not a lot that we can add without getting into like spoiler kind of material about you know the changes they made. What- I mean, I, I feel like it's uh, set up really well with with Misa having a specific uh, reason to be infatuated with L. Um, their relationships bonkers, but I, I thought it, it plays out pretty well on screen. Um, L is wonderful. He, he's great, and the the actor who plays L in, in both films is incredible like he's his mannerisms are identical to the anime which as trev talked about like you wouldn't think would come across very well but in both films it's it's incredibly well handled um rim looks awesome the the shiny got the, the design of rim and it's like in both these films i really feel like l and light have such a back and forth great relationship with the cat and mouse game um and we'll talk about it i know with the, with the last movie but man I, it works really well um I mean, aside from that, like I like the ending of this film. It works fine. It it feels very reminiscent of the the actual anime and, and the manga, but it's it's done a little bit differently, and I think it's handled um, exceptionally well. And, and again, I really I really dig uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Just wanted to <laughs> throw that out there. <laughs> I, I don't, but that's okay. Um, well, one thing I want to add to L and Light is. Um, it's interesting to see how, like, ever since the first movie, L kind of is having, like, doubts with him. And you get the sense that, you know, it's at certain points he's kind of just, like, messing with him. Because he's like, this really could be the guy. Um, and so I really liked, I don't know, I, I really liked the, the dynamic of those two characters. And, um, and yeah, I, I, L is just such an interesting character to watch because his mannerisms are so odd but at least this this at least this actor uh in particular it doesn't seem more cartoony or out there than it needs to be it's just like these weird little quirks and mannerisms i just i i really dug the way that this one wrapped everything up 
Um, and uh, it ends on a note that uh, it really, you really get a, a good sense of closure to the story. Um, and uh, I don't know, I, I appreciate that, um, you know, it, it didn't really, you know, it, it wasn't trying to turn this into like a giant thing. And, and I mean, sure, that's what it became, but, you know, it was like, this is where the story ends, it's where it needs to end. And I appreciated that. Um, so, uh, Trev, what, how did you feel about this one? I like this one not as much as the other one, but I do like it quite a bit. Um, and that's it's pretty impressive that the ending is as good as it is. I mean, if I if I told you without you knowing anything about it that hey, there's this. You know, there's this 37 episode anime and there's two movies of it. And the second movie only gets up to about, you know, the mid 20s of that show and then cuts out everything after that and wraps it all up with like a like just a little change and wraps everything up in like an extra five minutes. You'd be like, well, that sounds terrible. But it's actually a huge improvement, I think. And I think by cutting out all that stuff that Matt and I were talking about that really slogs uh, down the the anime and the manga this to me is like my preferred version of the whole story. And, and, and they get to like, they get to the same basic ending and they get to it. Just, it's really clever how they did it. I think it's hard to talk about without getting into specifics, but they actually do give you like the defeat of L the same way we saw it in the original source material. But then they just do this one little extra twist to it. That was a really cool idea that if you're familiar with the source material, you don't see coming. And I do remember watching it the first time and getting to that moment, being like, oh, yep, there's L getting defeated. And then being like, oh, that's what they're doing. That's how they changed it. That's cool. Um, So I really liked that. I I agree that Rem is really cool looking. And I actually think that Rem, for some reason, just looks better in CGI than than Ryuk does. Yeah, absolutely does. Um, she just like I don't know. She doesn't look as fake. She looks like she's there in in the scenes with the with the characters. I um, this is something that comes from the source material too. But I I, I love the idea that I, again I don't think you would go into the story expecting the police to begin interacting with the death gods themselves. But I love that idea that eventually the task force actually touches the death note and can actually like have conversations with the Shinigami. Cause I love that idea of, you know, the police having to kind of come to grips with this supernatural force and understanding that this is what's happening. The, the one thing I'll say is I think the pacing's a little worse in this one. I think, um, yeah, the whole thing with him losing his memory isn't as long, but it's still kind of, to me, it goes on just a bit too long, even in this. I'm with and then, you there. And then the other thing that kind of bums me out about this one is the only area where I think the, where I'm like 100% the anime is better than the live action films is Misa. I, she's fine in this. I like the actress. Um, I'm not saying she's bad, but she has so little of the personality of, of Misa from the anime and from the manga. I, I, I feel like they were afraid to present that character as hyperactive and as goofy as she was originally, <laughs> because they were worried that she'd go, she'd be over the top. But I mean, if you look at L that worked out, so they should have just had the confidence to, I think, go, go all out with her. And I think this is like a more grounded version of Misa, and I, I guess I get why they did that, but I kind of miss the more um, the more Harley Quinn esque Misa. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna say because uh, as a noob to this franchise, I, I asked, I remember asking you, and you said, "Well, it, you were you were, you pretty much said like just think of Harley Quinn, you know, and that's mm-hmm. Misa." 
Yeah, I mean, I yeah, that's how I kind of look at her, and that was a character that I really liked a lot in the source material. So I was just kind of, I mean, it's not like I'm super disappointed. She's she is good in this, particularly the actress, but I just feel like it. She's if you're familiar with the source material, she can be a little bit disappointing. Uh, fair enough. Um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll agree with Trev in that this one is the uh, is the. the maybe a little maybe 10 minutes too long i think uh for everything that you guys are saying they cut out with you know it leaning into this like thing with these you know young super detectives and all that uh even looking at this like you can you can tell there's still a lot that they're trying to cram in there like there's the subplot about uh how uh um uh, a reporter gets one of the death notes for a little bit and and I realize why that's you know important to the story and everything but it just seems like one of those things where it's like I'm sure you could have made in the in the ad, ad, adaptation process I'm sure there's a maybe there was another sh- shortcut they could have made but yeah it's this one's a little bit longer um in places that I think kind of do bring the pacing down a little from the first one. Um, but the good news is, for all that, the, the I'll echo what you guys said in that the the ending and the the climax, um, you know, the last you know twenty thirty minutes of this movie are are really satisfying. <laughs> Trev, uh, let let's let's go ahead and uh, get your rating out of the way. Um, how many sugar cube eating super detectives do you give this out of five? I'd give this one three and a half. Okay. Um, so, but you know, this one is just a little lesser to me, but still a, a really satisfying conclusion to the whole saga. And I think you put these two together because I actually think the pacing is a little off in both of them. They're both a little, just a little too long to me. I think if you take both of these, edit a little bit out and turn it into like one, you know, more effective super movie or miniseries, you you really have like my preferred version of Death Note. I still mm-hmm. do like these two films over the over the manga and the anime. So yeah, I think if you watch the first film and, and love it, then of course you're gonna wanna see this one and you're not gonna be disappointed by what you get, even if it doesn't quite live all the way up to the first one. Yeah. I I you that's pretty much everything I have to say you just said. Um, echoed my thoughts pretty much to a T and, uh, even down to the three and a half numerical score. Um, so really solid movie. Uh, I'm bumping it down just a bit cause the, the, the length really does kind of drag the pacing in certain places, but, uh, it's, it's a completely satisfying movie, very competently made. Um, and, uh, really, um, you put these two together and you have a really cool, singular story and it's just a really cool supernatural kind of thriller um so hopefully uh matt is is put together a little better right now uh matt I give this i give this three and a half distracting dogs is, is what I <laughs> uh no i mean i i think um the way that it gets to the ending is very clever and i like the fact that there's a lot of the fluff cut out as we've been saying over and over again um, I do think it is a little bit long in the tooth, um, that, that there's probably 10 or 15 minutes that you could find to trim down somewhere. Um, that would, that would definitely help the pacing issue. But I, I also agree that this is together. This, these two movies are the best version of the story. Okay. 
Cool, cool. So um, I'm going to take about no more than five minutes and uh, mention that in 2008, we had a spin-off film called L Change the World. Uh, and I am the only person on this uh, podcast at the moment here who has watched this movie. So I'm just going to take a few minutes here to discuss that. Uh, directed by another rock star director. This is uh, Hideo Nakata, who is most uh, famous for... I know him. <laughs> yes. Uh, Trev just binged a whole crap ton of his movies uh, back last October. Uh, but most famous for The Ring. Um, he did both the original and sequel uh, of the Japanese Ring, Ringu. And then he did uh, The Ring 2 here in the States. Um, among the unfairly maligned Ring 2. I, I watched that movie with you, and that was my first time, and I agree. I really liked The Ring 2. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like a Japanese movie, but with like a Hollywood cast, which is probably the point. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So um, uh, from what I've seen, I like Nakata's films. Um, and as a, a, a new fan uh, who was coming off the Death Note uh, 1 and 2, the, the two Kaneko movies that I really enjoyed, I was like, okay, here's another. Uh, they got a good director. And I'd heard not so good things about this. And so I watched it last night um, just to kind of, kind of, you know, squeeze it in just so I can talk about it. Because why the hell not? Um, and I, I, well, I'll get into what I thought. But basically, uh, it takes place before, not to give any spoilers, but before the final scene of Death Note Two, and. Um, uh, what happens is it starts with Watari receiving. Um, like uh, uh, this new super virus uh, in a vial, and he's, you know, him and he he tells L like, get on this, um, you know, figure out what this is, like if there's an antidote, stuff like that, um, because uh, this, I guess, group of, I guess, bioterrorists uh, are, they're trying to spread this virus to kill off humanity for, you know, ruining the earth. Um, and so um, uh, this is where I think um, they're bringing in aspects of the anime and manga that were left out of the Kaneko movies. Like uh, you see uh, – well, you don't really see too many of them, but you do see other uh, people within L's network. And, um, you know, at the beginning, it's I think it's F – gets killed and his son is orphaned and L is like looking after his son. Um, and, uh, and, uh, the same thing happens with the doctor that's in charge of making an antidote to this virus. He gets killed and his young daughter is put together with L. And so, uh, L is kind of like having to take care of these two kids. And the rest is, is really just kind of, um, the procedural of, you know, him trying to stop these people from spreading this virus, uh, and it's just it's it's uh it's two hours and ten minutes, and really not a lot happens um like you don't really get to the real plot of the movie until like forty minutes or so in and then um it's really just him hanging out with these kids and like visiting like scientists and trying to get them to come up with an an antidote and it's I don't know. It's it's not too interesting of a movie. I I didn't think it was aggressively bad. Like I think 
you know, maybe some people that we know that have watched it have said, um, it's just, it's just not very interesting. Um, and for a, a director of Nakata's caliber to, to turn in something that's kind of this, just like half baked and meandering. I mean, this movie could have probably lost a good half hour of just people like walking around and, you know, going different places like it I, it could have been a really cool like road movie of l and these two kids like having to go and like to these different locales and um but it, it really didn't take advantage of that premise very much um i will say uh um the end of the spoiler alert for whoever cares about the obscure L spinoff. <laughs> um, but uh, the movie does end with L uh, leaving the young boy off at uh, Whammy's house, which is the orphanage where L grew up. And L, uh, he never learned the boy's name, so he gives the boy the name Nier, which is that character that you guys spoke of from the anime and the manga. Uh, but, um, I don't know, the, the real, then the only scene where they have death notes is, um, when, uh, he's in possession of the death notes, um, after the end of the last movie, Ryuk appears to him and, uh, he's about, he, he burns the death note and Ryuk is like, are you sure you want to do that? Think all the power you can have. And he's just like, nah, fuck it. Um, the rest is just him trying to stop these terrorists. And like I said, doesn't take advantage of the premise and, uh, it's just a flat movie. I would give this one uh, like a like maybe a, a two. But so that's L. I see, uh, Change I see the Misa. Misa is listed in the cast list. Is she actually in it? Uh, she has like they they show some stock footage from the Kaneko movie uh, oh, okay. with because um, she's with Watari, and this mm-hmm. movie kind of replay has kind of has to go through that since Watari's at the beginning, um, and uh, I don't. Man, I only watched it yesterday. I can't. Re- if she's in another scene, it's probably just is something brief and forgettable. Clearly, I, I wouldn't re- really recommend this one. Um, and then Trev, we can go into this one um, and maybe spend ten minutes or so uh, discussing. Um, they did make a third uh, direct uh, direct sequel to the Kaneko movies. Um, this time the director is Shinsuke Sato, who I have never heard of, but, uh, um, Oh, he did the Gantz movies, which I haven't seen, but I know of them. But anyway, uh, so this picks up 10 years after, um, the death note Two. um, Trev, you want to give us the, the rundown on uh, plot rundown on this one? Yeah, this one's pretty interesting uh, in that, uh, like you said, it's it's a direct sequel 10 years later, uh, as the film was made 10 years later, it takes place 10 years later, and it's a world that remembers Kira, but uh, obviously Kira has not been around in a long time, and then suddenly it all starts up again. And what we learn is it's not just one person doing it. We learn that somehow there are now six death notes that have been dropped into the human world. And six different people are in possession of them. And this, of course, causes, you know, this, uh, you know, the same kind of chain of events trigger up. And the Death Note task force that actually worked on the original case is kind of reassembled, including a returning character, Matsuda, who is the uh, young, the youngest detective on the task force in those, the original films. He's now uh, kind of a main member of the task force. 
And then um, the other main character is kind of this this other detective on the task force who was like a they call him in the movie they call him a Death Note fanboy. He's someone who's been so obsessed with the case his whole life that or not his whole life but for the last ten years that he just knows like everything about it even though he didn't work in the original case. But they start investigating you know where who might have these new Death Notes. And they are eventually um, teamed up with a character that is kind of put forward as the uh, successor to L. He's like supposed to be the new L. And I don't know. This is kind of a weird to me thing. So I, it's interesting to hear you say, Bird, that the L movie actually brought up the the, the Whammy's house, the the orphanage, mm-hmm. because I thought that that was like that that was something that was like noticeably missing from the two Death Note live action films. And I didn't think that you would say that it was in the spinoff because I almost feel like this film doesn't know that because <laughs> Ryuzaki, the successor to L, I thought for sure they would just say like, oh, he's he's a. Uh, you know, someone else from the orphanage, but instead they have this weird thing where they say he's like a clone of L kind of, he's like, <laughs> yeah. like he's like the L L had his DNA, like, you know, taken out and they made a clone of him. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. But anyways, <laughs> he's, he's like the new L he's a much more, um, he's a very different kind of character. He's still, uh, eccentric and weird, but he's, he's much more, um, like kind of, uh, outgoing and more action orientated uh, and so he he joins this task force. And what I did not expect from this movie, uh, but what I ended up liking about it was that it really is a very direct sequel and that it starts kind of addressing the original films. And actually it becomes a big plot point to where uh, the, the new the, the main new person with a death note is called Neo Kira. And they there's a lot of speculation about whether it is light. Um, and we actually do get uh, some, you know, a video is put out of light kind of talking about how Kira is back. And it is the actor from the original films. And there's a lot of kind of mystery over whether Light faked his death and is now back. And we won't give that away here, obviously, but there's some interesting twists and turns with that. And we also have the return of Misa, uh, played by the original actress. And it's, it's interesting to see where she's kind of ended up in life. And uh, this isn't too much of a spoiler, but we'll just say that she kind of gets her hands on a death note again and, you know, kind of remembers her past and and yeah it, it it plays out and pays off a lot of stuff from the original films in an interesting way and some characters you know get new kinds of endings um i don't know i, I guess that's the plot synopsis now we can talk about like the, the good and the bad of it uh so bird why don't you say what um, you thought of it and I'll well given how well the last one well i guess this will tie into like where i come from in the end i'll bring it full circle but uh, given how well the last ones wrapped it up, I was like, well, where can they go with a sequel? Um, and I thought this whole idea of this Neo Kira, who is kind of a copycat killer in a way, um, was a, a pretty novel idea um, for them to go after. And uh, uh, Ryuzaki, the new, I guess the new L, the successor to L, uh, the weird origin aside, I really enjoyed that character. And he has his own Shinigami um, named Arma, who is uh, this really tall, almost like insect-looking uh, female death god. She might be the coolest-looking one ever. Yeah, she's really cool. Instead of eating apples like Ryuk, she's always eating grapes. Um, and, you know... Uh, 
she just kind of hangs out with him. They're, they're more or less just like friends. Like he doesn't utilize any death notes or anything. Um, and she just like kind of hangs out at his house and they have a, a really fun banter back and forth kind of relationship. Um, I really dug uh, seeing where Misa is wound up after all these years and what happens when she touches the, the death note and all the memories come back to her. Um, and that, that character gets a really, the way they wrap up the issues with that character in this movie, um, if you could consider Misa a loose thread, which I wouldn't, but if you could consider her a loose thread um, from the last one, I, I thought the way they, they ended um, her, I guess, her arc in a very poetic and... Yeah, uh, powerful. Yeah, a powerful way that really kind of, re- like, had like an emotional resonance. Um, so, uh, that was impressive. Uh, we do see, um, not, not, uh, not for a lot, but we see another Shinigami, a golden one named Beppo. This more of like a, almost like a Goldar looking kind of, <laughs> kind of creature. Uh, so, I mean, even though he's not in it very much, it's cool to see another one and how like each one is different and, um, and yeah, uh, you know, it, it hits the it hits all the beats that you would want a good Death Note movie to to hit on, um, and it, it takes a lot of ideas presented from the first two movies and kind of has a kind of new twist on them. And um, uh, this is where I'm going to kind of get into more of my, my the criticism angle. But uh, if any of the movie, well, aside from the L spinoff. But uh, I'm looking at these three. If we're going to consider them almost a trilogy of sorts, which I I, I don't want to use that word, but um, uh, I think of the three that f- follow one to another. Anyway, um, this one probably feels like it has the most fat on it. Like you know, this one I think runs a little too long. Um, so I mean, uh, the middle meanders into different places, but um, it, I, but it, it brought it back together at the end with a really cool third act that has a number of twists and turns that I didn't see coming, and um, and I, I thought it ended on a high note. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what I think it is. I don't even think it's that it's it meanders. I think that because uh, I think this one starts off really strong. I was like so into it for like the first half hour or so. And I told you while we were watching it, I was really impressed by how stylistically this one was directed. Not to say that the Kaneko ones weren't, but this one just has like kind of a, a slightly different kind of visual feel to it. And is uh, it is really doing some interesting, uh, you know, aesthetic stuff in the, the uh, beginning. And and when you get to the middle, it's not that I think it's meandering. I think this one just gets a little too overly convoluted for its own. Yeah, that, that's a better word. It starts it's to convoluted. be pretty hard to follow because it's 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 doing a lot of different twists and turns, and not all of them feel necessary. There's a whole subplot in this about how it turns out that Light had a kid. And first of all, I'm just thinking like, when the hell did that happen? Like when <laughs> when it like that makes no sense. That's and then. And then the payoff to that is like so dismissive that you wonder why they even bothered with that because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like, oh, he has a kid. And then I started to get worried. I'm like, oh man, one of these characters is going to turn out to be the kid. And then I'm like, wait, that doesn't make any sense because the kid should only be 10 years old. And they do address that. And it's just like, they address it in a way where you're like, well, why'd you even bring that up? Like, if you're, that's not like a main part of the story, what, what the hell is that even well, in yeah, there for? Well, so, yeah, it just well when, really when they reveal that, in, in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, well, that's a bombshell. That's going to be like super important. And then, 
yeah, there's really not much consequence to learning that. But but I think it, like you said, I think it picks up big time in, in the, the third act. And I think in particular, when you get to the end, <laughs> the end is like so big scale for like a Death Note film. I mean, I, we won't put it, I won't put it in any context. I'm not spoiling anything, but I did not expect to see like a huge like, SWAT team versus, you know, the uh, guys with guns, uh, helicopters blasting machine guns well, well, into a building. There's a great, there's a great, cause, um, we won't give away, but Neo Kira has the Reaper's eyes, which we didn't mention, but that's where you can, you can trade with your death god a certain number of years on your lifespan to be able to see the name of, of anyone and how much longer they have to live. And there's a, a great part where, like, these SWAT members are, like, storming the place where he's in. And he has a page of the Death Note that just says, like, I don't, it must say, like, heart attack, heart attack, heart attack, heart attack, heart attack. And he's just, he just keeps seeing every soldier's name and writing it and writing, writing it, like, he has a page that, it, it's like he pre-filled out a page just so he can write names next to the cause of death. And he's just, like, going one after one after one after one. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty fantastic sequence. Like the whole end is actually really exciting, and uh, and then it builds to a fairly interesting ending that actually sets up. I mean, it's it's if this is it, then it's fine. Um, but it also sets up what could be more if they want to do more. And I don't, I haven't heard anything about how this one did or anything. But uh, but yeah, I thought you know it's not as good as the other two, but it's a totally worthy addition. That's how I feel mm-hmm. about it. it. It feels like it's um, you always get worried when like they try to bring back a franchise after that much time. And I think this one did the right thing of, you know, bringing back some of the original cast members and, and continuing the story in a way that doesn't just copy what we saw before and actually add some new elements to it. Yeah. And also uh, it's still not perfect, but the CG is much more up to date, a lot better. Like Ryuk yeah. has a, a, a decent facelift. Uh, no, I, 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 you know, I'd heard mixed things about this one online, so I kind of went in with, you know, one foot in, one foot out. But you know, by the end, I, aside from the two, a couple decisions that we talked about that didn't really land with me, uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by how, uh, how decent of a sequel this was. Um, and uh, the first two movies, still like, that's like the, just super solid ends everything in a in a great way but if you can if you can check this one out i don't think it's been released officially stateside but if you can track it down i i recommend it um it's uh i would i would give this a three out of five but it's it's a good three uh a three that um is kind of a three in the same way i would give like halloween two a three in that like the original is perfect wrap things up great but if you want to see where it goes after that if you really loved what you saw with the first two movies and just think like well what could they do with death note after that i i I would definitely say check this one out so what about you yeah no i agree i I think it's like a natural progression of the franchise in a way you know and that i gave the first one a four i gave part two a three and a half i will also give this one a three uh three vials of l's dna out of five yeah um (laughs) so yeah like you said there's just some there's some unnecessary things and it gets a little convoluted in the middle but uh if you were like watching if you for some you know if you had like a week where you watch death note one one night death note two the next then you might as well take the next night and watch this because it's a it's a definitely a, a decent and and fun addition to the yeah, overall totally, franchise. Totally worthy. Uh, so Matt, I know you haven't seen this one, but check it out, man. The, this one this one's pretty good. Yeah, I meant to watch it, and then my uh, my dog, you know. 
<laughs> that dog, man, I'll tell you. Actually, actually, my my actual, my real excuse is that my son, poor guy, has been sick for the past three days. Um, and so I've been. You're just blaming everyone, man. I know, dude. It's everybody else's fault but my own. <laughs> also, also, how I got you know movies confused and stuff. It's just not not been my my podcast. That's all right, man. All right, so we're all you know jumping up and down for joy. Uh, you know, this is an exciting franchise. Uh, and um, we'll get into the man who directed this latest entry, which is the American remake, which is on Netflix as a Netflix original, directed by Mr. Adam Wingard, um, uh, another um, kind of up-and-coming rock star director. Uh, so, I mean, this franchise really um, has a, a solid record with, with getting good directors, I'll say that. Um, but... Uh, um geez uh so <laughs> uh I, well i'll preface this by uh just saying um most of our listeners right now are probably thinking oh adam wingard yeah the guy doing godzilla versus kong uh you know who is he i never heard of him but uh me and trev have had the um we you know we're, i'm gonna i'm gonna get a little hipster here uh, we knew who this guy was when he made his first, like, no-budget, zero-budget little horror movie called Homesick that has Bill Mosley and Tiffany Shepis and Tom Towles, a bunch of actors horror fans would know. And Trev brought this movie to uh, over, and he was like, you have to watch this movie. It's insane. And I watched that, and I was like, what, I, what was that? It's such a bizarre, crazy movie. And then... Uh, Almost, I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about Homesick, because I, I love Homesick, but uh, kind of out of nowhere, he started making these really solid, competent genre movies, uh, Horrible Way to Die, and then the two that, both of the, but the two movies he did that just blew my mind were Your Next and The Guest. Um, and, I mean, I, I, I didn't see Blair Witch. He did the last Blair Witch movie, um, and I, that's not really my franchise anyway, so I'll probably get to it one day. But, um, yeah, I mean, so uh, Trev and I have a, a, a solid kind of history in watching this guy go from, you know, a 20-something making tiny budget movies in his backyard to doing Death Note and Godzilla vs. King Kong. So, uh, Trev, I think me and you were probably both excited to see him get this opportunity. Um, and I think he's someone we're always rooting for. Uh, and I know that, uh, is there anything you want to say about Adam Wingard before we get into this movie and maybe what what happened? <laughs> No, I mean, I just echo everything you said. I, I really like Adam Wingard. Uh, you know, nothing we're about to say will change that. Um, I, he's he's definitely just he's one of those guys that just seems like one of us. You know, you listen to him uh, do interviews or listen to his commentaries, and he's into all the same kind of crap we're into. He seems like a cool guy. I, I like. I mean, aesthetically, I just love his style. Um, I mean, The Guest was my favorite film of 2014. I also loved Your Next. I mean, I'm, I'm obsessed with Homesick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's just a, yeah. He's a he's a really cool director and it was it was just cool to see him getting to do you know even like you know like i said blair witch isn't really my uh franchise either and and we'll talk about you know the issues with his death note but it's just cool to see like that guy you know get to take that that next step up and be handed these kind of big franchises to play in um i kind of hope after godzilla vs kong he can maybe go back to doing something that's just him again instead Mm -hmm. of just keep playing in these in these other franchises but uh but yeah it's still i'm still very 
happy for him. And hey, he once wrote that uh, that I wrote the best sentence ever written about him. So I got <laughs> some props for that. that, well, that that's a really that's a story you can tell in like two sentences. Do you just want to say what what? Yeah, what well, I mean, I just was? I wrote an article about homesick, and in part of the uh, in part of the article, I said that. You know, people might remember him now as the guy who did your next and the guest, but I'll always remember him as the guy that got Tiffany Shepis to roll around in her underwear and her mother's guts while laughing. And uh, I, I put that article out there. He saw it and retweeted it and said, I think this is the best sentence ever written about me. So, <laughs> well, until someone else writes a sentence that he can retweet and say, this is the best sentence ever written about me, that statement still sticks. Yeah, it stands. It's, con- it's contractual. <laughs> so, he- so I. I- I take it neither of you are going to support the uh, the petition to get him removed off Godzilla vs. Kong? No. I, uh, okay. All right. Well, I'll start off by saying... Well, well let's that, talk about maybe... We can talk about why that petition exists, you know? <laughs> well, let's, let's start by saying... Uh, spoiler alert for this podcast. I don't think any of us are going to say much positive about his Death Note film. And... Uh, but, you know, now that he's playing in uh, Japanese genre land, you have all these otaku who want to put him under a microscope and judge him off of every little thing that he did, does or says and decide whether or not he's qualified to handle the, the oh-so-important Godzilla franchise. Uh, and uh, I think that that's just kind of BS anyway. I mean... I've seen he's made what maybe seven movies or he's made maybe yeah seven, I know I mean movies? maybe this is the wrong argument to make because I know some Otaku aren't as into this film either but I mean I'd argue he's a more accomplished director right now than Gareth Edwards was when he was handed Godzilla oh easily yeah yeah easily. yeah Godzilla was Gareth's second movie Skull mm-hmm. Island was uh, Jordan uh, Jordan's second movie um, and you know I mean this is what Adams eighth movie or something and out of all the movies yeah out of all the movies i've seen of his i have only disliked uh two uh so he's got a pretty strong batting average with me and then there's also the matter of doing um these tiny indie horror movies is different from doing a franchise like blair witch which is different from doing a franchise that's an anime adaptation like death note and that's different from playing in the giant mega million dollar blockbuster world with where you know i mean on godzilla versus kong you don't think he's gonna have producers and and people hovering over him every two (laughs) seconds you know i'm sure some of i'm sure his sensibilities will leak in at some point because um I know Legendary kind of has a very filmmaker-friendly track record, but, you know, I mean, with these big blockbuster movies, you know, the the shots are being called by the people above you, and when you're in a franchise with that many millions put into it, they're going to have notes, they're going to have ways that, okay, how can this feel more like the other movies in this franchise, you know, so... In a way, as long as you have a director who's competent, who can work in a writer's room and can work with large special effects crews, you should get a decent product as long as the the screenplay is fun enough. So the whole petition is just BS. Trev, Matt, you guys have anything to add to that? 
I, I do have one thing. We know uh, when we saw uh, Vought Roberts, we went to the the Skull Island screening in Chicago. His uh, seventy millimeter, and one of the stories that he told was he thinks it's crap that you know directors that work for large companies they they get a shot to to make this movie. And then if the movie doesn't do well, the director essentially takes all the blame. Right, yeah. And he brought up uh, Josh Trank, who did The Last Fantastic yeah. Four, as an example of that. And if you don't know the story of that, you know, he was hot off this little movie, which was Chronicle. And then he got brought into Fantastic Four and wasn't allowed to make the movie he wanted to make. And then when the reviews came in and said it was crap, everyone, he was the scapegoat, you know. And yep. it's and he's been like, who knows if he'll get a movie that size ever again just because of that. So, I mean, directors on blockbuster movies are really kind of powerless in a way. So, that Matt, no, that's a great point to bring up in that. Yeah, I mean, Josh Trank is uh, this podcast. Well, Charlie is Josh Trank, basically. I'm blaming Charlie for all my woes today. Which is my dog, Charlie. Uh, that's Josh Trank. He got blamed for you know everything. Which, when you have a writer's room, I mean, you know, you're you're handed a script. And that was one thing I was going to say about Gareth Edwards. I loved his first movie, Monsters, and I actually thought the strongest part of that was the character development, which I also thought was the weakest part uh, in the in the 2014 film. And I don't know if that's all his fault. Because well, the 2014 the, that movie is just an aggregate of like a billion different scripts. Exactly, and when you have that issue. You know, the director can only do so much. Now, I think, you know, Edwards did a lot of really awesome things with the cinematography and the way he shot and certain things, but the character's kind of meh. So, uh, you know, writing off a director because they have one bad outing and starting, starting a petition, as only Godzilla fans can, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's asinine. It's just weird. It's weird to me because, uh, you know, you go back and look at films like uh, Homesick or Horrible Way to Die or or You're Next or The Guest. And to me, that's just like, you know, it doesn't matter. He could make like four bad movies in a row before doing Godzilla versus Kong. And I'd still feel like he's an exciting choice to do that movie because of that early stuff. Uh, you know, that's it's just different than hiring like another boring, bland journeyman director. You're, you're hiring a director. Tre- Tre- what's the guy's name? Trevorrow or something. Yeah, like someone who's going to just try to ape someone else. At least Wingard <laughs> has a style, and you look at the stuff he does, and maybe it doesn't always work, but that's because he's usually like shooting for the you know fences and just he's he's going all out with his his style and. The idea that he might take that and apply it to Godzilla vs Kong, you know, like you said, if it's a strong script, then it'll probably turn out great. And if it's a if it's a bad script, we'll probably look at it and say, you know, like maybe we're going to say for Death Note, be like, well, that was a misstep, but at least he was trying something, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh... so shut up, everybody. <laughs> Another <laughs> thing people can shut up about is the accusation accusation of whitewashing with this movie. <laughs> wait, wait, did you just say? Education. Yeah. Um, And uh, I am not going to pretend that Hollywood doesn't have a whitewashing problem. Uh, A Japanese character was just cast as a very white man for Deadpool 2, and that actor said. No, for Hellboy. Oh, yeah. The actor from the first Deadpool. Uh, was cast in Hellboy as a Japanese character, and he apparently didn't know, and after he heard about it, he was like, that's kind of, like, weird. Uh, I feel like you can probably (laughs) cast an Asian character for this character who his uh, background is significant. Uh, But with Death Note, it's very much, you know, it's taking the scenario and re- 
uh, relocal. Uh, it's it's a relocal. I can't talk today. We're, localization. We're, yes, we're all messed up today. Uh, relocal. <laughs> watch Death Note. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> relocalization. Uh, and so when you're taking a, a story and relocating it to another country and another culture, I think it's only natural to, uh, you know, to to cast in a in a way that's not. I guess indebted to the country of origin. Um, but that said, I will quickly say because I'm I'm like eighty percent with you on this, and I think the whole the whitewashing thing is mostly as stupid the the controversy. But I will say they didn't do themselves any favors by like keeping the names the same, like White and L, and then and I have it pulled up right here. I'm just going to quickly read David Ehrlich, who's a, a film critic who I quite like. He put it in a way that I kind of agree with. And here, I'll just read what he said. And he says, um, whitewashing is never a purely aesthetic act. It's always an indication of a deeper rot. In this case, it pointed toward an inability or unwillingness to meaningfully engage with the source material. The only reason to take such a uniquely Japanese story and transplant it to Seattle is to explore how its thorny moral questions might inspire different answers in American context. So for this retread to all but reduce America to its whiteness indicates an absence of context more than anything else. And see, I kind of agree with him on that and that for all their talk about how, well, it's not whitewashing because we're moving it to America and it's going to be this American take on it. It's really kind of not. And I think that's well, the disappointing I, part I, of it. I think that's going to tie into something I have to say about how much of a missed opportunity I think this yeah. was. <laughs> So I think I think they were I, I have no problem with them changing the races, but I think they made a mistake in not going further with the potential of that. I think that's where yeah yeah they I, maybe, I, they maybe I, deserve a little bit of the, the yeah yeah getting, I, I don't think short. that's a, a deliberate like we got to just make it white thing. I think that's more just the script and these writers and you know uh, you know the I, this movie in general. Everyone working on this movie didn't. They didn't. They didn't bother to explore what you could do with Death Note in America, um, and it's odd because I think that this kind of story could really pack a heavy punch and say a lot about where we are right now as a country. Um, yeah, but, I'm still kind of baffled as to why they didn't just completely change the names and have this do that kind of thing where this could even be a film that exists in the universe of the other films. Right? Yeah. It's just now a Death Note's been dropped in America, and now a different character has yeah, it. Yeah, but um, uh, we'll 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 get into that in a, a few minutes. So, um, <laughs> Trev, this should probably take all of five seconds. Uh, you want to go ahead with the plot synopsis for Death Note <laughs> 2017? Uh, sure, it's pretty similar. So, as I said, our main character is Light, who is a, a, a high school student in this, who in the first, like, 30 seconds of the film is just kind of chilling out on the playground when the Death Note drops down next to him. Um, he is kind of infatuated with this cheerleader at school named uh, Mia, who is the kind of stand-in for Misa in this film. And uh, that's kind of what we know. That's kind of all we know about him at the beginning. Um, but he he sees these bullies beating up on a kid, and he tries to step in, and ends up getting knocked out. And for his troubles, he's sent to detention. And while in detention, he pulls the Death Note back out of his backpack, is looking through it, and suddenly Rook appears to him. And and in this version, Rook is kind of presented differently to where he's constantly he's much he's much more proactive. Like he's very much egging light on and telling him you should you should write the note don't you want to see what happens don't you want to see what happens and he convinces him to look outside the window to where the those bullies are bullying another kid 
and he writes uh, one of their names down in there, and Rayuk then tells him, well, write how he should die. And Light writes down decapitation, and sure enough, uh, in a kind of a Final Destination-esque, Rube Goldberg-esque series of events, a truck crashes, sending a ladder flying at this kid's head and decapitates him. So Light now discovers he has the Death Note. He decides to start using it to, you know, solve the troubles of the world, just like in the originals. He also quickly... Uh, decides to use it to score some points with Mia by telling her about it. And she is not at all shocked or horrified by it. She is actually kind of turned on and uh, captivated by the idea of being able to control death along with him. So they kind of become a team. I've just described basically like the first five minutes of this movie. That's how quickly it's like (laughs) moving at the beginning. Um and then uh, after, you know, this very accelerated opening act, we get into this movie's version of L, who just like in the originals is this kind of bizarre, awkward detective who is brought in to or that's the way he kind of actually inserts himself into it. This in this one kind of comes in to try and solve this case. And that's basically I mean, that's the basic plot. You know, you just hear it and it sounds very similar. But as we talk, we'll talk about like what the the differences are, because they're all the differences really all fall into, um, I'd say, tone and like character mostly. Yeah. Um, Well, you hit the uh, one thing that that we should address is, yeah, I like 20 minutes in, I I turned to Trev and I was like, this is like watching Death Note and fast forward. Uh, yeah, it's got a every, it's got a very like uh, cliff notes like beginning. Yeah, everything is just simplified to a T. Uh, instead of the task force, you just have Light's dad, played by the always great Shay Wiggum, um, uh, and it's like just him. And then L and Watari are there. This time, L is a um, a young uh, African American man that always has like. A, his face covered by his shirt. Um, and uh, his performance is way more manic than the Japanese one, uh, leaning way more into the, like, autism spectrum than the Japanese version. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the, the everything just goes a mile a minute. Um, and then, uh, really, it's more, like, there's there's issues here because like light in this is more like i don't want to say sympathetic but i the movie has more of a like you know oh well look at his home life his mom died la 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 and then light is constantly whining at ryuk and saying you made me he made me do it he made me do it he made me do it he's a lot like matt blaming everything on his dog um (laughs) And that was irritating to me, uh, and I just really just nothing really is given the time to land. You know, it's jamming the, that story into a shorter movie, which is usually isn't a problem. But you need to know how to adapt it right. You can't just go from scene to scene to scene to scene to scene where you know you don't have any character moments. You don't have really anything that is going to resonate you know it's just why does this the plot need this to happen oh we we left out the explanation just because you know towards the third act l is you know using the and finding out about the death note and as far as you know 
I am able to remember. There's, I don't remember how he found out about that, and I really don't think it's explained. I could be wrong. I only watched the movie once, but it's just things like that where it's just like the movie is really just like this is happening because uh, it's convenient and it's where the story needs to go. Um, and then in the third act... Um, uh, there's a stupid change to the rules of the Death Note that I didn't like that's used for the most contrived and just dumb way. And I, when I was, I, I read an interview with Kaneko from when he made the first two movies, and he said, uh, you know, when we did these movies, um, you know, I guess, I guess the people who wrote the manga, you know, um, uh, own the rights or whatever. And he said, for us to do the movies, they were very strict that we can't change any of the rules of the death note so where were these guys when this movie got made i don't know but uh i that was just a real groaner um dialogue is bad there's a part where l is talking to light and for no reason l is just kind of like decided oh light's kira um (laughs) and during this part he's not exaggerating (laughs) yeah and, and he's like, you know what, Light, you just grew wings and you're flying too close to the sun. I got to make sure they burn. I don't know, something like that. And I was just like, oh, my God, did someone just say that? Um, and I, the movie's just full of groaners like that. And uh, the guy that plays Lo- uh, Light, for Nat Wolf, for the love of God, is terrible. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> um, you know, Willem Dafoe voiced Ryuk, and and you know he's always fun. And uh, you know, in a, in a better movie, uh, Ryuk could have you know been a little bit cooler. But uh, and he's covered in shadow. The the movie's not very con- confident in showing us what he looks like at all. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it should have just been Willem Dafoe dressed like Ryuk. That would have been, like, been better. better. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> He's already. It's the same thing they did with Green Goblin. He already looks ghoulish enough. You know, yeah. you don't have he's to do. Ter- yeah, he's terrifying. You don't have to do anything. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with everything you said, and like light in particular. Like, so what they really screwed up about light in this version, and I mean, you could say screw up. Maybe this, their, this was their take, but it was the wrong take. I'd say, is that unlike in the original, he's not like calculating and and smart. He's just kind of this like schmo in this who is played as always in over his head and not very smart and other characters are always like kind of two steps ahead of them. And then it does that thing where at the end they try to reveal that he was kind of planning some stuff, but it, it, it doesn't really land in this one because you don't believe that this version of light would be that clever. Um, and as Bird said, they try to play him on a much more sympathetic to where at the end, I really feel like he is supposed to be kind of heroic to us. Uh, they, there's an, another character is revealed to be more of the main villain. Yeah. So the, the and, movie is uh, almost saying like lights, the lesser of two evils, this is the real bad guy and yeah. it just it doesn't it feels just ill advised and if what you liked about the originals was the the very interesting kind of compelling you know uh Sherlock Moriarty, Hannibal, Will Graham kind of cat and mouse game between L and light that I'm sure you'll love how in this version, the first time L kind of confronts light and says, I think you're Kira lights basically like, yeah, I am. I mean, it's like it's all just like thrown out the window. And it's because, as we said, this movie is just like cramming so much into such a short runtime. It it doesn't have the it doesn't have the patience to slow down and let that cat mouse game play for a while. This is just it's rushing forward so fast constantly. It just never slows down, never lets anything develop. Uh, It's just a bummer, man. It's like (laughs) you said, like the dialogue sucks. The 
I think like light's really the only bad performance. Um, I think everyone else is fine with what they're given, but uh, the score is good. I like <laughs> yeah, the score the, a lot. Atticus, the great Atticus Ross did a, a cool synthy, like John Carpenter esque score that, and and I, I yeah. usually I usually like Atticus Ross scores anyway. Um, and you know, and, oh, was, and like. Uh, and then I'll just say really quickly, another change they made that I hate, and I know like in talking to you guys in like another thread, some people weren't as bothered by it, but the, another change they make, which I, this is one isn't as spoilery, but for the first time ever in this version, Light is the only person that can see Ryuk. It doesn't matter if someone else touches the Death Note. Um, he's the only one who can, and I hated that. And I hated it for a very particular reason. Like I said in the originals, I loved the idea that the cops actually meet the death gods and realize what's happening and have to come to this like, oh, my God, supernatural forces exist in the world. And this is what we're up against. And I think that's so compelling. And the problem with removing that is when when Light's the only person who knows about it, at no point in this film do we have anyone kind of wondering, well, how is this happening? Like, how is Kira killing people all over the world without being there. And they have one brief like line of dialogue where L says, well, I think maybe he's got psychic powers and that's it. Like no one else ever raises that question to the point where at a certain point in the, near the end, uh, a character is talking to light and like, I'm not going to give away who it is or what the context is, but it makes no sense to me that that person wouldn't say, Hey, how exactly were you doing that? Because it's like that would be your first question, and it's just like I, I just feels like they didn't even think about that when they made this, which is kind of indicative of everything. Yeah, and I think my biggest issue um, are the, the gaps in logic. Like L just magically pieces all this stuff together, and we're supposed to accept it. And then when the lesser of two evils character, when he figures that out, it's like, well, duh, dude, if you were paying any attention at all to anything going on you would have figured that out the same way that you pieced together that this guy was actually Kira. And it, it's such a gap in logic to think like, why didn't you invest, investigate that person? It was right under your nose. Like anybody yeah. with half a brain, that would have been the first person you probably would have looked at after his, his father, possibly like that. It just, it was dumb. And I, I think that, um, I, one thing I hate in the, in some of the newer trends in films is like when they just overplay music instead of having actual, like a, a score written for it. And so they play like uh, Chicago's I Don't Want to Live Without Your Love at a particular scene. And it just, <laughs> and I, oh my God, it's, it is. That was the biggest groan of this movie. Yeah, it's just, you, know it's, you know what's funny, Matt, is like, so we sometimes like text each other during movies. And I know like I bird texted you and was like, yeah, we're watching Death Note. And why'd you, why don't you like the music? This music's actually really good. And you were like, no, 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 not the score. I'm talking about how they keep playing like regular songs. And at that <laughs> point, they hadn't really done that. And I was like, what is he talking about? And then that moment happened, and Bert and I just both like started cracking up because we're like, what is with this music choice? It, like, it was it was really difficult. And and like there's a there's a particular scene where like it's insinuated that Ryuk is having uh, an influence on this particular scene and he's like swiping his hands back and forth and you guys know what I'm talking about but like it was just like was like what yeah you, what? I think you see it in the trailers he's he's like he's basically dismantling a uh, a ferris wheel that's like so is he always around just to like <laughs> like is he does he make these things happen that doesn't make any sense I well, just in general, that. I think like I, I get that it's just a different take, but I kind of just you know Ryuk in the originals was just it's it's said he just dropped the Death Note in the world because he was bored and he wanted to see like what humans would do with it, and he talks a lot about how he's just watching because it's he finds humans interesting. He's like this is this is cool like seeing what you guys do. I'm, I'm entertained, but in this one he's always like 
come on, kid, write someone's name in there. Don't you want to do it? Come on, come on, come on, come on. It's like, yeah, oh, he's just he like threatens to take the death net away from. Him. Yeah, he's like he's like a demon basically. It's just like, come on, you you should kill people, kill people, kill people. And it's like, oh, all right, well that just makes you like every other devil on the shoulder demon character that we've seen a thousand times before. Whereas he was actually pretty compelling in the originals. I really think like every character. Um, is a lesser, I mean, by far, like a lesser version of what they, they were, both in the, the movies we've seen and, and the source material. They're just, even, you know, L. Um, I did not like L in this. I don't think it's because of the actor as much as the way that he's written. He's just like, he's piecing together all the stuff. There's this bit of throwaway dialogue where he talks about how smart light is, and like they're just telling you that because they have to at this point. Like, he literally says, yeah, he's a very, he basically says he's a very intelligent kid. Uh, it's just like what? What are you talking about? We don't about? see him do guy? anything like. I mean, he just to, to prove it, he was doing other people's homework, dude. I mean, like, isn't that what everybody did in high, like school? Like, you were, oh, dude, can I see your answers? Oh, sure, why not? I mean, that was. I uh, never did that. Yeah, lies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought every character basically sucked. I did like most of of Mia's character. I thought that. Oh. Oh. I, 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 I liked it. I liked I liked the idea behind it. I liked what they were trying to do. But the way that the movie ends is just, dear God, make it stop. This is like Dragon Ball Evolution bad, which is like the comparison that a lot of people have made. And I think Adam Wingard actually kind of took offense to it. But like it is it's not good. No, it's bad. It's bad. (laughs) Uh, I I actually I hate Mia in this. I think she's maybe the one that's like the worst translation because, you know, in the originals, we we had this idea of who Misa is. And for as over the top as she might be she had a very particular reason to, to want to, you know, help Kira and to be obsessed with this idea and to be like in love with this, this person who was punishing evil. And in this, you know, Mia is revealed to just like, as soon as she finds out about the death note, she's like, this is great. We can kill people. This is awesome. <laughs> and then when you find, when we get to like where we're going to find her justification, it says, she's like, I'm just bored. I'm bored being a cheerleader. This is more fun. And it's like, what the fuck is that? Like, what? Uh, it's like yeah, so. She comes across like a like a sociopath, and and I think yeah, but not I, not a well done one. It's like it's just not drawn out very well. I think. Okay, uh, and, and that's I, I think that's fair. Um, like I said, I don't think any character is <laughs> really well done in this, and I hate. I think Ryuk is he's he's a boring version of the character that's like so just. I am bored, and I want to see what humans do. And they're all boring. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, uh, and Willem Dafoe is always, as you mentioned before, Bert. It really bothered me. Like when they first showed him, and he's he's basically covered in darkness. I'm like, okay, well this this is fine. He, they're just introducing him. But the entire movie is like that. You never really get that, like you know, that spot where Ryuk is following lights around the city. I didn't get that at all. I didn't like what what what's the thinking behind keeping him masked in shadow when that character Shitty has CG. been has, That's the only has thing been, I can figure. No, but I mean, who cares? Like that character has been the the face of this franchise since the beginning. Like anyone familiar with Death Note knows what Ryuk looks like. So you can show them to us. You know, we, we know. Yeah, it's I agree. Not, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't get that decision either. And just and Matt, that, Wolf, Matt Wolf looks too much like Max Landis. I just want to throw that out there again. <laughs> there's, one more thing, there's one more thing i got to bring up, too. The way, the, the additional rule we talked about and the way that it's used, if it were, the ending makes it as such that if they actually follow the logic in that rule, it would not have played out. It's a, it's a gape. It's like this massive plot hole that if it had worked out the way that Light wanted it to, it would have also worked against him. Like mm-hmm. it's hard to give it away without spoilers, but if you follow what he did, it would have basically backfired because there's no way to save him and the other character. 
because of what would happen. And so it's yeah, just, it's, don't worry about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> this movie doesn't know what the hell it's talking about half the time. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I, there's never a reason for anything. Like at the beginning, the he's in detention, and the the teacher is like, "I have to leave. Just stay here." And then like never comes back. It's like why? And did the room gets trashed. Yeah, and then the room gets trashed, and then the scene like ends. And yeah, were we supposed to like when when uh, he first sees Ryuk in that same scene and like the the classroom is being like you know shelves are being knocked over he's screaming like a girl and i couldn't figure out if like it was supposed to be funny or it was very funny <laughs> i just I, I i think the only positive thing is i did enjoy some of the deaths they were particularly gruesome and i thought overall like they they were fairly convincing yeah. and some um, practical gore effects and i kind of i did i mean i know some people have been mixed on it i actually did like the idea of like changing the deaths into like kind of final destination-esque deaths um that might just be because i missed final destination and this was like <laughs> hey look it's at least i'm getting it here but uh, i liked that idea yeah um and then, but uh, I, I I hate to ever play like the uh, this is what they should have done. Card, I was but, about oh. to play that card and say how much I hate playing that card. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like when we talk about why it doesn't not taking advantage of like its American setting, it almost does at the beginning. Like when the first people he kills are the bullies. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's what this version could be. This like this bullied kid who just starts using the Death Note to kind of you know get, get even on his personal grudges. And then maybe, like, in the third act, he starts to push too far and start going into that Kira realm, and that's where he gets in over his head. And that, that, but no, he just also, kills two bullies and then becomes Kira. Yeah, that, that's also the best way that, if they wanted to make a sympathetic version of Light, that's probably the best entry point to do that, too. But, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I also hate doing that thing where people are like, well, the movie, it should have been this thing that it's not. But I, I just feel like... You're you're taking. I mean, I mentioned earlier the interview with Kaneko where he said, you know, Japanese superstition that you know sprung the idea of Death Note is, you know, that words kind of carry a part of someone's soul. And you know, I talked like the the and the the Shinigami is all very uniquely Japanese kind of folklore mythology. And okay, it's it's fine to bring that to America, put it in, a, in an American setting, but. The best way to I, I, it just feels like a missed opportunity to do like there's so much you could do in, in as far as doing like kind of a post Columbine kind of you know death obsessed you know kind of thing if you're gonna kind of apply it to America and you know America now is very much you know obsessed with you know violence and you know the and and you know the the push against bullying you know bullying is so huge you know these poor kids are bullied into suicide at a very young age and it's just that i feel like taking something the best way to take something that's so uniquely japanese as death note and put it into america would be to apply it towards these kind of obsessions that you know kind of post columbine that america has had and the relationship america has developed with violence and death since then and you know public shootings and all these things running rampant you know i i think there's a lot that you could have been explored with the concept of death note in america and to see it kind of put into a cliff notes version of the original story with just bad writing 
that doesn't make any sense is just a and with, and with someone who I do think is a very skilled director with Adam Wingard, uh, everything about it is a bummer and just a disappointment, colossal disappointment. I'm just did what I just say make any sense? Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just a, it's a movie. It's an adaptation that totally misses the point of the source material. It, it it's weird too because I know they've been trying to make an American Death Note for a long time, like you know, a, a very long time. I've heard updates on it for years, and to think that that much time went by and then at the end of it all, this is what we get. Yeah, it's just it feels like it's weird because Netflix isn't dependent on um, getting something out by a particular time. But it feels like something that was rushed, even though I know that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, it's just everything about it is a missed opportunity. So, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, well, you guys ready for ratings? Uh-huh. All right. Matt, you want to start? How many terrible movies out of five would I read this? How many Shea Wiggums out of five? Yeah, Shea oh, Wiggum's Shea great. Wiggum's, he's, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, and uh, he really should have exploded midair in this, uh, but, you know. <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I <laughs> honestly, after I watched it, I think I was still kind of, like I said, I mean, a, even after hearing all the bad things, I still went in, like, rooting for Wingard and rooting for this. And I think after I was even as like, like, just negative as my initial reaction was, just sitting on it has gotten even worse. So I was I was at a two when it ended, but just thinking about how much of a missed opportunity everything is, and just how nothing lands, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go right ahead and do one and a half Shea Wiggums. I hate to do it. I'm right there with you. That was one and a half. Uh... It's 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 pretty atrocious. And 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 that one and a half is pretty much just Wingard's usual like directing style and use of lighting is still pretty cool in the scenes where there is light. I don't know what's up <laughs> indoor. I, every conversation that happens indoors is in the dark. So when, it was that supposed to be ironic that the main character's name is Light and apparently nobody has light in Seattle. <laughs> well, maybe that's why <laughs> Seattle is so depressed and where all those gr- why all those grunge bands are so so depressed and on heroin and everything but but yeah when when the scenes aren't in pitch black you know Wingard's usual uh, lighting style is there and that's cool and i like the score and so i mean and you know that's that's gonna earn it the one and a half but sympathy points that's what you just yeah yeah it's one and a half in in almost all sympathy points So, Matt, we're at one, and me and you are both at one and a half. Trev, wrap it up, man. What do you got? No, let's just make it the hat trick. I'm also giving it one and a half. Um, for, you know, same kind of reasons. I, I like the score. I think uh, there are occasional moments where it, like, comes to life and has some energy, but way too few and far between. And uh, I just can't really, I would never really recommend anyone checking this out, especially I like that as, an, I would never that as an introduction to this franchise. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't tell anyone to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> now, but let me ask, what do you, so let's say, cause you know, Netflix is always really cagey about like viewing numbers and everything, but if this does well and there's a sequel, do you think this can be saved? Like with this version of light and L, is there a potential for a better sequel or are you guys just like, no, kill it with fire. Uh, and that wolf is bad enough for me to say, just end it. Just, 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 just gotta go. Just, just gotta go. <laughs> 
think you can save it with the. I think you can save a story, like you can save the franchise with the story. But I also think that they both suck so bad that I, <laughs> I wouldn't want to see him return. Yeah. What do you think? No, yeah, I, I there's I don't know. I feel like obviously you could make a better sequel, but the question yeah. is why bother? I mean, yeah. I I just don't really get like looking at it now. It's like why didn't Netflix just do this as a show or something, you know, to to allow it to breathe and develop the story? It's funny because you know we were talking about I was thinking about what Matt was saying about why he doesn't like L, and I'm kind of in the middle on that one of saying like I think maybe L is one of the more interesting parts of the movie because of the performance, but I totally agree that he's. He, where they just tell us he's smart. You know, it's all like telling, not showing. And it's funny because we we complain about the uh, the pacing in the originals, and I'm thinking, oh, the stuff that slows down the originals is all of the stuff where L like sits down and explains to us how he came to those conclusions, and we're like, oh, this is kind of a slog. But then you remove that, and then you're like, well, how did this guy figure this stuff out? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's got to be like this like middle. There's got to be this like you know middle ground that works, but no versions found it, I guess. <laughs> Uh, yeah, dude, I don't, I, I feel like the entry point of him being a bullied high schooler was bungled so bad that I don't know how you can, like, recover and make him interesting again. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was, that there's no way to do it, unless he's still in high school. <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, it's just a colossal disappointment from top to bottom. Uh, I didn't want to believe it, but it's true. So we we end on a, a bummer, but overall, as a newbie to this franchise, uh, uh, aside from from a, a couple things here and there, I, I enjoyed it, and um, uh, I'm sure in a few years uh, I'll probably play those first two movies again, or maybe show them to someone because those were really good. And uh, yeah, I suggest light up the new world too, and maybe I'll I'll check out the anime if time permits. And that's Death Note. Yay. Uh, anyone have anything to add? Don't watch the Netflix movie. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Well, it was fun. Trev, thank you for, for joining us uh, again. And uh, uh, goodbye, everybody. See you.